Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Vita Podcast, where we help educate military veterans and their spouses on opportunities in Web3. Our plan is to host a series of industry leaders, many of whom are veterans or spouses themselves, so that we can learn about their journey down the crypto rabbit hole while understanding opportunities for transitioning veterans in the industry. I'm Chris Perkins, president of CoinFund. I'm a combat Marine veteran who spent 15 years on Wall Street before transitioning into the crypto space. And before we begin, I would like to thank our sponsor, Luca, who's dedicated their time and resources to make this podcast possible. For our 20th episode, we'll be speaking with Naval Academy graduate and Marine, Stephanie Vaughn, head of operations at Smollier Finance, founder and director of SS Ventures, and COO and co-founder of Seven Seas Strategy. Welcome, Steph. Hi. Nice to be here. Thanks for coming. Um, so first, we'd love to hear about your background. Um, How did you get into the military? Um, I uh, September 11th happened when I was 16 years old, and my dad was actually supposed to be in the uh, second tower, but his meeting was moved um, the day before. But we kind of, we thought that that's where he was during that whole uh, morning and then afternoon until we could get a hold of him. And I think like um, that event happening in high school, um, like inspired me to join the Naval Academy. Um, And then uh, from the Naval Academy, I went into the Marine Corps. It's funny. um, It's funny how our careers track because I was a Naval Academy graduate Marine in Camp Fuji when that went down. And my sister was actually um, down there by the towers and was treated. So it's it's amazing how 9-11 impacted so many of us. Um, So you went to the Naval Academy. Um, I understand you studied quantitative economics. Um, What was that experience like? It was, I I liked it. Uh, I like, it's a little bit different, you know, than how, uh, you know, civilians now would view quantitative economics, but um, it was the closest thing to kind of operations analysis. I was able to use that experience um, actually working later in my career with General Donahue doing like a force structure review group or doing like a war game um, between, uh, you know, just different in order to design the new force at that time that was uh, uh, moving down in personnel. (laughs) Does that make sense? (laughs) Yeah, totally. So a couple of questions, probably the most important one. Why didn't you go to West Point? And then uh, why um, I, didn't, I actually am from uh, that part of New York. So I knew it was not a good part to live in. <laughs> um, <laughs> <so> <laughs> that, uh, that was probably the number one reason it being so close to my home. Um, and then I had an uncle that lived near the Naval Academy, but I really wanted to go into uh, the Marine Corps early on. At one point, I switched my mind. Um, but then kind of went back. Yeah. Awesome. And why the Marine Corps? Um, I just felt just that the Marine Corps out of every other force um, has the people that are, I feel like the best leaders, the best, um, the most disciplined, um, and really can do multiple things where I feel like the Army or Navy or Air Force is so large that people focus on one specific piece where Marines focus on uh, the planning and the whole kind of um, mission. Like every Marine, a rifleman, every Marine officer is like a provisional rifle platoon commander. You should be able to jump in everywhere. 
So that's why. So this is going to be a really easy conversation for me. I, I think we have a shared outlook. Can you tell us about your experience in the Marine Corps? Uh, where were you stationed? What did you do? So I uh, was a communications officer. I was supposed to go to uh, Hawaii um, after the base or after con school, but last minute, the only billet in Hawaii was at a regiment level, um, or sorry, at a, a battalion level, and so women like combos at that time could not could not like serve in that billet. So I ended up getting uh, switched out to Okinawa. Um, I went on the 31st uh, Marine Expeditionary Unit out there with the ACE or like the aviation command element. So I was the combo for that element. Um, and we did like different exercises around the South Pacific um, in Thailand, in like Cambodia, uh, off of Sri Lanka, um, in Australia, in Korea, <laughs> all around, and, and of course in Japan. Um, and then we, then I came back I uh, to the U.S. I worked as a General Donahue's aide, a one-star like at the time, um, and he worked doing the force structure view group, which like was downsizing the force at that time. I, I mentioned a little bit of this before. And he also worked on uh, the capabilities for the Marine Corps. And so I would go with him to kind of look at all the new, you know, not, not quite the acquisition stage yet, but you know, what new capabilities needed to be met in order to meet like the, the future of um, warfare. So <laughs> um, after that, I, um, I went to Afghanistan. Um, I did like different force protection surveys where you look at different vulnerabilities of bases. So I went to like bases, um, fobs that were pretty far out there, but, uh, it was, the team was a joint team. So I actually went to both army and, um, and Marine bases, like all along the border, mostly, uh, of Pakistan, but in the North and South. Wow. That's pretty, pretty um, impressive. And after that, yeah, I got, I got kind of, I got right back, um, from, Afghanistan and like three weeks later I was in Columbia Business School because <laughs> I had gotten right before I deployed so oh that's amazing um what an incredible career so I was I was stationed in Camp Hansen in Okinawa I think that's where the the 31st Mew is right yeah um so I went up yeah I was like yeah I was up at Camp Hansen during that time um and then like what we like I came out of the comm squadron so I was down in Foster but um, what's the one above Hanson? Is it Schwab? Schwab, yeah. I went up to Schwab like to take a course. Yeah, uh, yeah, like the up there. So, <laughs> when you think about your career in the Marine Corps, were there any any special lessons that you took away, or anything that that helped position you and and helped perpetuate you and and set you off into your civilian career? Um, lessons. I mean, I. I guess like, like I sort of said, the, the Marine Corps maybe lesson that's different than other, like, um, other services is like really taking accountability for every part of, uh, what is, you know, the mission that everybody's working on and being able to jump in then to those different positions to make sure that this is what is accomplished. So, um, I think, like I, I initially worked as an investment banker, 
um, and after a few years, I uh, realized that I uh, wanted to switch over to tech. But I think working in tech and working um, like specifically, you know, in the startup side, especially like in, in crypto, I'm able to do that. Yeah. So, so a lot of transitioning vets are always trying to decide, do I just like jump right into it and go into tech or finance or get go into the job force or do I go to B school? You went to B yeah. school. Um, can yeah. you tell us about that decision? Um, I would say that it gave me time to understand what it's like to be a civilian, which is very different. And even even after B school, like it took a time like to understand what it's like to work as a civilian, you know? I think it would be hard to jump kind of right into the startup world because it is very different. Um, like the the less, a lot of things, although they're, you know, some of the, the skills are the same. If you don't understand, you know, finance and how the civilian world like works, you're not going to be able to operate as well. So it gave me that time to understand. Like one thing I think, in the military, you take, you know, you sort of, you think that you're the best, you're a Marine, um, and everybody else is just, you know, a lazy civilian, and you get out and you realize that's not true. <laughs> um, and you really, uh, and everybody is really competitive um, within, you know, especially the business world. And so you really have to uh, kind of adjust and adjust in the way where it's, it's um, there are people that are kind of your people and your like, you know, group that you can trust. But um, I think learning how to trust different groups of people is is a lot different where the military, everybody, you know, they're giving you time to go to the dentist and making sure that that's done. Like you're not nobody's making sure that you go to the dentist. No one's making sure, you know, like that you're 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 in good health like you have to do all of this by yourself so yeah totally i think the other thing it gives you is a is a really good network so a lot of yeah. vets as they transition we've got a great network we're all vets and we take care of each other but getting that civilian network in b school i never went to b school i wish i had um but but and i think that on top of the time that you get to figure out who you are and what you want to do is super helpful i agree with you there um so you end up in investment banking um to tell us about that. And then how did you take, go from there into crypto? Would love to know that story. Knew I wanted to work in investment banking. I ended up working at uh, Houlihan Loki, which is a, you know, mid-market. Um, they do a lot of restructuring there. I did a lot of um, mid-market, um, like M&A, like, which is essentially a lot of, a lot of LBOs and selling and doing big auctions of companies, uh, industrial companies to private, small private equity firms. Um, so I, I enjoyed it. It was a really good experience. We did, we had a lot of deal flow. We did a lot, um, you know, of pitches and then also like a lot of deals and in the auctions were, were big, which is, is different than, you know, other parts of investment banking. So from, like that, I felt like I had a really good base for finance. Um, you had to get, and I had to get used to selling something, um, which is very different than, you know, any experience in the military where you sort of, you know, like people are very humble, I feel like, and they don't want to sell themselves even when they get out. It takes a long time for people to transition, but to learn how to sell, um, I had that time, like as an investment banker. Um, I left and 
tried to do venture debt a little bit uh, for a few months with a group of people um, and we and started getting and they had wanted to have a veteran focus on the venture debt um, and I then I I found like I went to a conference and met um, Mark Rockefeller and uh, he asked me to help him like uh, fundraise for uh, series the series B for street shares. So I went down um, and street shares at the time um, was a veteran focused uh, small business lender. And so I went down uh, to DC for a year. Mark's uh, partner, the COO there is Vicky Conson. He came out of Citibank and taught me like sort of everything about <laughs> uh, commercial banking and um, really lending that I know, uh, which is a very different experience, you know, than I had in industrials. And I had kind of learned the other side of the balance sheet. When I had initially left, I had also I had been working with a person who wrote uh, for Lending Times. So I had been in lending then for a little while, and I felt like um, marketplace lending, or I mean. It's not, it's not that I felt like this, but marketplace lending was like everything was either um, being purchased, like, uh, yep. you know, Amex purchased cabbage, like everything was sort of getting, getting either rolled up into a bank or, um, or dying. Um, and crypto started kind of taking off. So crypto at the time seemed to, to be the true um, ability to do peer to peer lending, which is uh, where like um, where with marketplace lending, everybody ended up chasing the, the lowest kind of cost of capital um, and what, you know, we thought could be replaced by people on the other side ended up being replaced, you know, with different warehouse vehicles, like from banks. Um, and then they ended up becoming banks, like, like SoFi is another example. So that was like why I made the transition. I initially left and with one partner, we were doing, um, like ICO advisory, <laughs> uh, just like by ourselves. Um, and I, I was out in Asia again, after having been out there with the, the Marines it was a very different experience, but, um, I quickly realized like that I wanted to be within a company and I met David Chom and joined, um, Elixir, which is a, uh, quantum, like, uh, resistant and, and uses a, the C-Mix, which is um, the technology that David invented, sort of similar to Tor um, Secure Messenger um, that has a blockchain behind it as well. And so um, I worked there for a number of years and then I decided I wanted to go back to why I joined crypto, which wasn't this sort of deep privacy side, but um, the side like for, uh, you know, the finance side. And so I went back uh, and started working um, with uh, a couple companies. Like I started my own company, which is that's SS Ventures um, and started doing operations and compliance consulting there, still with a number of people. And then I uh, joined Sommelier um, and out of Sommelier, we started seven C's, um, both helping, you know, with operations on both sides of those and and that is a little that's a lot closer to kind of what I wanted to work in. I don't know if you know what small EA or seven or seven C's does. So I can get into that. Oh I know a little bit, but um what maybe you maybe you can start by telling us about the Cosmos ecosystem and like you know just generally the landscape of, 
of, um, of sommelier and, and maybe we can go from there because I, I think a lot of the folks that listen here are, are new to crypto and so yeah. they're, they're, they don't really understand all the ecosystem. So like maybe helping, I think consulting on compliance and operations is pretty accessible, but like when you say sommelier finance, it'd be wonderful for people to yeah. understand exactly where it is, how it works and what it does. So it actually is, I mean, I think we get labeled as being in the Cosmos ecosystem um, because we are a Cosmos project, but really what we, we actually don't offer any strategies on Cosmos. The Cosmos ecosystem, uh, I mean, it's a, it's an early project um, in crypto, um, you know, kind of one of the original tokens. They launched a little bit later than others, uh, but their idea is um, that everybody uses the same standard for the uh what is like a layer one protocol and so sommelier uses the same standard in order to pass messages like to other protocols on cosmos using and then it all goes back to kind of what is like the the tenderman consensus sommelier is a layer one it's a cosmos layer one so its token itself is on the cosmos network the som token um but what sommelier does is it decentralizes strategies you could think of it simply like that and the way that it decentralizes strategies is um if any like so you can imagine a strategist um has an idea for a strategy they um code that idea into a smart contract that smart contract is on Ethereum. Smolier Network has a, a number of validators on the system, um, kind of in line with you know what the standard is within Cosmos and IBC. Um, the validators uh, validate like the the signal, but they limit like what the signal can do. So it's not like you can run a strategy and everybody can kind of input their money into a vault and. Sommelier can, the, the strategist can just put that money anywhere. Like if they say their vault is, you know, a, um, like a Bitcoin long vault, they can only buy and sell Bitcoin, you know? Um, so it limits what they can do. The, the, you know, validators validate this. They can also do other checks to make sure the transaction or the signal rather that they've given isn't malicious. And then they send that signal across a bridge to the Ethereum network where uh, the smart contract is. Um, and then the smart contract trades. I've spent a long time trying to build um, the, the protocol in order to be able to trade like the smart contracts into the uni v3 pools. Um, and so like we launched with that, we launched a product called Real Yield um, USD that's sort of uh, you could kind of equate it to like an like an ETF of treasury like bonds. And so anybody um, can put their money into this smart contract like or take it out at any time. And it's getting the kind of the best in class yields like for across different stable coins, uh, DAI, like USDC um, and Tether. That, I mean, is a little bit, uh, like, I hope that uh, that might be a little bit complicated for people to understand. <laughs> so you said a lot of different things um, and a lot of words that like people like you and I understand, like, like yeah, bridges, I like tenement consensus, really hard to translate. Cosmos, right? 
It is. But how did you learn all of this stuff? Right. And the one thing I found that's pretty cool is that everything is like open source. Like you can go to Twitter, you can go to Discord. If you have a passion for it, you can learn about everything. Like, how did you learn all this stuff? I guess is the question, because there's no manual. You didn't learn it at Columbia. Right. No. And it's not it hasn't been around that long. Let's just be honest. Like most of this activity is, is really post what, like 20 Ethereum was, was born in 2014, 2015. So less than 10 years. So clearly, you know, you got up to speed stuff like really quickly on some pretty complex things as you describe it. Um, how did you learn all of this? So I would say, I mean, I really like you just have to get out there. I I got out there when I first got into crypto, like doing ICO advisory, trying to figure out how to sell, you know, at that point something, um, you know, and focusing on really, you know, the compliance side. So I I knew how to sell uh, street shares at a product, a reggae product called the Veteran Business Bond. So I knew like what a reggae was and I knew, you know, what the different, you know, reg S, reg D um, what we could sort of do as far as like if these are securities and started really looking at things from that angle. Um, and then as I like, like learned more about that, I started learning, you know, more about the projects and then, you know, like, how do you sell like an ICO or how do you sell a token or um, how can you, you know, start to do all these different things in finance because I understood finance from having gone to, you know, Columbia and having worked in investment banking, which some people in crypto don't, and then see how exactly that works on the tech side and then what the, you know, the problems are, you know, like MEV now or different, like, you know, intents that people are using to kind of solve these problems. And so, you know, um, and so it's just, I, I, I really had to just get out there and talk to different people <laughs> um, and not be afraid to kind of be within this universe. But yeah, Twitter is a great place to learn a lot of information. I see you on Twitter. Um, I, I went to a lot of the early stuff within crypto um, and a lot of those people that you still see around are the people um, that I'm, you know, close with still and, and I've learned from. So I feel like, a lot of projects that I initially thought were not good projects because, um, you know, I thought they weren't following the rules. Like Celsius is a good example. I always thought that like everybody, it didn't make sense to me how they could do that legally. Like they initially started comparing things to um, you, like like a, a bank account, which I knew you couldn't do. And, and that was like, the this is in like 2017. And, you know, right at the end, and I was like, this just something doesn't seem right here. And then they ended up doing so well at one point. I was like, I really cannot pick anything. But um, like, and then, you know, everything has sort of corrected back um, since FTX. Um, you know, I've, I know enough, like, you know, from the, you know, the Great Recession to understand how things can change very quickly, you know, even though I was in the Marine Corps at the time, like that, you know, those the combined experiences um, have really helped me like understand all of this. And so and understand how everything has been, you know, related. So yeah, like that's the thesis behind Vita, right? Like we, I hear you, like, I came in, and there are certain things that I saw, um, where I was like, there's no way that that, that that's going to last. And it oftentimes doesn't. And there's other times where I'm like, well, they're doing it right. And then you find out behind the scenes that they're 
maybe they weren't. So like the whole idea behind Vita is like, gosh, there's so much innovation, right? You see it every day. You're talking, you're excited about it. There's so much value being created. Um, but gosh, we need some some operators to come in with the right ethics. And by the way, by and large, the preponderance of people I deal with every day are incredibly ethical, very smart. They want to do the right thing. They're building. Um, but like the more veterans we get in the space, the better. I want to ask a controversial question because I have to, and it's something that really bothers me. Why, why don't we have, what do we need to do to get more women into this space? Like to me, that's another big issue that, that we've seen. Like there are some incredible women in the Cosmos ecosystem, like, you know, Yelena yeah. is out there. Um, and there are some like amazing yeah. women in the space, but like, I feel like we're still underrepresented and it's a, it's a huge area of focus at our company. But h- how do you think about that? And what should we be doing? Not only vets, but, but women and women vets to the space. I mean, I, it's a little bit, um, like, I feel like with FinTech, maybe it's difficult because finance doesn't have a great reputation, you know, for women. And then, um, you put a sort of loose compliance environment around that uh, and it gets worse. I mean, I know a lot of things like since Me Too, I feel like, you know, the community at least has been more um, sensitive to all of these issues for women. Um, I don't I really don't have a great answer on how to attract more women. I think like being comfortable with women like there's what women, a lot of women in our company, you know, compared uh, our other founder or um, two of our founders, like Zaki is not a woman, obviously, but the other founder, Christy, is a woman. Um, there are a lot of women being comfortable with women, like, you know, having children, um, like, and being, you know, working from home. I think just sort of allowing people to do that and then, you know, kind of encouraging people and telling them they, that they really can do this. Um, you know, I think I have a friend who also went to the Naval Academy. She started working, um, she just started working, helping me with compliance at one company and, you know, ended up working, um, you know, full time for another, another company. But I don't think she really could have gone into the space, like without the sort of encouragement, you know, that like, you can figure this out and you can do this. And this like really isn't that hard. And then like, especially with the, the work from home, like environment, um, I think really helps women. I, th- I would just say like, m- you know, more encouraging people that they can do something where they probably think that they cannot like, because it's, there's so much other things at home that people get focused on, but there's time in the day. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I, I think that they definitely can, and we need more women um, and, and more vets. Um, you're a pretty busy woman. You're Director of SS Ventures, right? You're doing the seven C yeah. strategy thing and you're at Sommelier. Like, tell us about a typical day. I guess like a typical day, I, I get up. I uh, I like get up at 6.30. I uh, get my son like ready for uh, his school. Um, I walk him down there, drop him off. Uh, like, you know, or I get a coffee, walk him down there, drop him off, um, walk back. Uh, and generally like I will start checking messages like, um, on the way back. Um, and a lot of our team works in Europe. And so we start to see kind of what happened overnight. I just seen that on the, on the walk back. Um, and then, uh, just getting into what, uh, 
the the biggest task will be like for the day. So, I mean, it could be a different meeting with like um, someone that I'm like consulting with, or it could be uh, like we have a lot of, you know, business development meetings recently, like meeting with different funds. It could be doing something fundraising. Uh, Seven C's is set up um, in BBI. And so we've done a lot to, um, you know, apply to the kind of the BBI sandbox, like meet with a lot of lawyers. So I'll do, um, one or all of these things, meet different meetings throughout the day, depending on when people can meet, because it's very difficult, you know, from this work at home environment, like if people can meet in the morning or, you know, late evening. Um, so I'll do these different meetings throughout the day. I think a lot ended up, end up happening between, uh, two to kind of, or, you know, 12, I guess 12 here to kind of, you know, four or five, um, at 6 PM, my nanny, uh, takes my son home. Uh, so I have that time, um, with him, like from about six to seven 30. And then at seven 30, um, I will try to send out a few more emails. And then, um, if there's any late calls that we have, uh, with Asia, um, like I'll, I'll wait up for, or, um, even with Europe sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a typical day, a lot of work. Um, yeah, I, I definitely work out both days on the weekends and try to work out, uh, a couple days during the week as well, but it doesn't always happen. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned it. It's so important because you can forget about all that after the Marine Corps. No one's telling you, like you said, to keep yourself in shape. And I think it's like a huge part of staying sane and like being an effective like at anything you do so i'm glad you mentioned it so yeah. in crypto we certainly go through cycles um and we've been going through this vicious bear market and a lot of people are like you know why would i come into this space um i personally think it's probably the most exciting time to ever come into the space as, as you enter it at a cyclical low um but what makes you excited about this crypto or this thing that's known as web3 um so <laughs> What makes me excited is really kind of, I mean, like like I said before, the finance side, anything that is securitized can be tokenized and it can be tokenized in a way where it's transparent, um, you know, what uh, is contained within like the asset and you're not kind of um, going to have a situation like you did uh, in 2008. Like, um, so I feel like from... Like that's my drive uh, is this kind of transparent, decentralized network that anybody can participate in um, and like reaches, you know, sort of true, you know, efficiency, if you could imagine that so, or something close to that, um, maybe like kind of like libertarian dream. <laughs> I don't know. Like that's that's what my drive is. I, I really think we can like this technology allows for it. I think working through these different issues lately, um, like MEV and, you know, toxic flow and figuring this out for the DEXs and how this looks, um, you know, now that we've seen the kind of centralized piece fail again, we already, we already knew that centralization was bad, you know, from 2008. So seeing it fail in crypto, like, isn't surprising. It has nothing to do really with the technology. So I don't, yeah, I don't really worry in that sense that that's like a wrong bet. Um, if anything, it makes me more sure like that finding something within DeFi is the answer. I think that's totally right. And people like, 
will say, oh, crypto is FTX. Well, to the contrary, it's like it was super centralized in, in the exact opposite of the ethos that we were trying to advance, um, which yeah. is really interesting. I totally agree with, with you on that one. Um, yeah. A couple of last questions. Like, what advice would you have for someone who's trying to break into the space? I mean, I would just start like reaching out to people or go, I would go on Twitter, you know, and then I'd start kind of interacting with people on Twitter. I would, you know, download and, and start playing with the different, um, you know, technologies that they're, they're advertising. Um, you could also go to a few different conferences. I would look for, you know, ones, good ones, uh, which you could, you could figure out like through Twitter. Um, there's a couple good ones going on right now in Europe. I mean, but to keep showing up at conferences and jump from one to one without working doesn't really make sense after a while. Um, so, but yeah, I think there's, there's plenty of opportunities to just get out there and talk to people and kind of figure out what's going on. Um, and just, like start, you know, building, you could, there's a ton of hackathons too. You could join and meet different people from those hackathons. That's awesome. And, um, are you hiring with, across all of your different verticals doing any hiring um, right now? So, uh, I guess like we, we are hiring a few people, but, um, it's like, I'm not hiring anybody from my own company, but I, I would say like, so, you know, uh, Seven Seas is going to be looking for a few people and uh, sommelier. And we'll put those up like on our website um, and tweet them out. But I would say this, you know, we've always kind of put up different hires in every startup that I've worked at. And it's always the person that we hire is from a referral from somebody. I so. almost feel like, yeah, you never end up getting. Uh, yeah. I don't know if you have a similar experience. <laughs> Well, referrals come from networks, right? Yeah. And that's why networks like Vita or, you know, any network, like that's why networking is so important, right? Yeah. Because um, that, that every job that I've ever, ever landed has been because of the efforts of a fellow vet, everyone. Um, and so like, I, I, that's why I think building and investing in this network is so important, but I totally agree with that. Yeah. All right. Last question. Um, how, how can people connect with you? Um, people can connect with me on Twitter. <laughs> uh, it's good Steph V. Um, that's probably one of the best ways to reach me. Yeah. I would say reach out through Twitter. Don't reach out through LinkedIn. <laughs> it's like almost impossible for me to reply right now. Um, and then, uh, my emails like, uh, Stephanie at SSVentures.io would be another great way. Yeah. Cool, but probably Stephanie. best Thank direct you. message through Twitter. Yeah. Yep. Totally get that. Thank you so much uh, for the discussion today. I learned a ton. Um, I thought it was awesome, uh, incredibly informative, and we're, we're super lucky to have a leader like you in the space. So, so thanks again for coming on. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for having me. And uh, anytime. And, and thanks again to our sponsor, Luca. These guys are, are great. Uh, they do this for free every single time. We appreciate it. And uh, for those of you who are interested in learning more about Vita, uh, like connect with us, please, on LinkedIn or Twitter. And if you have any suggestions on who we should bring on, uh, please reach out to me at PerkinsCR97. Thanks again.